0: <muchas> i see
1: You both ready to go? Yep. Yeah, I think so. Should we just should we just talk about the election? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, it's the uh, Scottish Rugby Blog podcast. Um, it's our Lions special. Um, we've managed to pull ourselves together to um, don't know find something to talk about after uh, the squad was announced today, as we're recording it, which is Wednesday. Um, I'm joined today by Rory Baldwin. Hello. Hello. And Gav Harper. Hello. We're going to start straight away with this. It's the Legally Mandated Lions Chat. The Legally Mandated Lions Chat. We've heard so much about it that it makes us sick. But we've still got to chat about who Gatlin's going to pay. Um, Rory, um, it's the Legally Mandated Lions Chat. It's, we're doing a whole episode on it. Um, It felt a bit like this week um, that someone somewhere has been trying to dampen down Scottish expectations so much that this almost felt like uh, a win by having two Scottish players selected. Does it feel positive to you?
2: Um, Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm getting I'm getting used to it. Certainly last night when there were lots of uh, lots of um, leaked. Articles coming out saying that it was definitely only going to be one, and it was going to be Hog. Um, when we started hearing sort of chatter this morning that, that Seymour might be in as well, um, certainly that improved my mood slightly. Um, I mean, when you look through, you know it's it's a pretty it's a pretty strong group of players that he has to pick from. We knew that going in, um, and you know he's picked a pretty strong squad. There are some guys that you think, well, they shouldn't be in there, but then you think, well, they probably wouldn't be replaced like for like by a Scottish player anyway. I mean, Ross Moriarty caught a lot of people by surprise, but Gatlin wants a big ball carrying number eight, so he's presumably picked him to kind of do that again. And, you know, Scotland, we don't really have, we don't have a player that would fit in there. He's not going to take Ryan Wilson instead of him. Josh Strauss is injured. He may maybe have been that that kind of guy. So um, I suppose probably the only one that, you know, that, has enraged people slightly is uh, is Dan Bigger getting um, getting on the the tour, um, which I guess is is a joke in poor taste for some people. But um, I'm sure you know they would have looked at George Ford and thought he's weak defensively, and they would have looked at Finn and thought brain farts in tight games. Um, you know, con- selection conspiracies be damned. You know they they would have been rooting for Finn to pull off more performances like like the the game the games against Racing. Um, and, you know, Wales and Ireland in the Six Nations, and they would have been rooting for him to do that at Twickenham and, it, and again against Sarries to just kind of to just do enough, I think. Um, but, you know, the fact is he didn't. If you throw loop passes on your own goal line at Eden Park, you're going to get absolutely creamed, and, you know, Gatland has to live in New Zealand for the rest of his life. Apparently he's retiring after this one, so um, I guess he's going to, you know, whatever pelters he's going to take for this tour, he's going to take them on his own terms. Um I think Sexton and Farrell are probably the only approaching world-class, maybe international-class fly halves that he's got available at the moment. Um, it was always going to be a choice between Bigger, Ford, and, and Finn for that third slot. I don't think he was going to take an unknown quantity like Colin Slade or Cipriani or anybody like that. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Finn maybe maybe only only has his uh, his performances to... To blame for that one.
1: Um, but Gav, would you? I mean, there is the argument, it was a counter argument to what Rory's saying is that do you take Finn on the off chance that he has a game like he did against Racing um, rather than go with Bigger, who is fairly limited in what he offers?
0: I think that's a bit of the, the kind of dilemma, obviously, the, the coaches have come up with scenarios and, and combinations and. Um, they probably have felt that one Dan Biggle's probably got more kinda of money in the bank in terms of the coaches know what he's, he's about and you know, not having a, a Scottish representative's probably not done him done him done thin much um, much good um representative the coaches and I think uh, there's always a risk that he plays like he played against, for example, against England and can see it. I do understand why he's not there, but I think when we all sat around waiting for the announcement, there was just a. It does feel disappointing that there's only only Tommy and Augie. But I suppose we have to look at who else realistically would have strengthened that that forty one. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, I've I've gone I've gone through it. Um. And highlighted a couple of names. And I, I, I get it. I think, I think what, what they said in the press conference, what I think Gatlin said afterwards, is a lot of them were 50 50 calls, and it, it perhaps does come down to there being no Scottish voice in the coaches' room. Um, but um, we'll go through what I had. So there's Ian Henderson for Ireland, who had fairly limited game time during the Six Nations compared to, say, I don't know Richie Gray, who possibly had a better Six Nations than his brother, and at least was sort of in the um, playing in Europe.
2: Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Richie. There's an argument for Richie Gray ahead of Henderson. Um, there's a lot of fans of Henderson, and I think maybe the versatility goes in his favour because he can play back row too. But if you look at the rest of the back row, that they've you know they've got plenty of sixes or guys that can play six big lumps. Um, for me, I think uh, Richie Gray ahead of Henderson would have been one that. I mean, you know, if you put an Irish hat on, they would probably disagree with, with you. But I certainly, from our point of view, um, I think Richie offers Richie offers a bit more, um, a bit more footballing, something slightly different. Um, they've got Itoji, who's a bit of a ball player, um, but yeah, yeah they're, they're they're kind of the second row. You can see what Gatland's plan is, and it doesn't involve a lot of um, you know a lot of football footy, as the, the Kiwis would say.
1: Is yeah, I, I, I was going. I was. I've sort of highlighted towards you, but but mainly on the basis that he's, in, um, <laughs> rather than anything else. That, that's why I thought he should be omitted, um, rather than
0: rugby reasons. Yeah, just on this, the second row, I think as much as we probably appeal for one of the Gray brothers to go. Actually, I mean, he's probably not even next in line because Joe Launchbury's Six Nations. Like, how he's not made that squads. Mm-hmm. Me. So, I think as much as we can hope that maybe one of the Greys gets a call at some stage. It's probably going to take more than one injury before Richie or Johnny are are involved. Unfortunately, so there's, and maybe that is a reflection of not having a you know a Scottish voice in there selection discussions that their cause hasn't been really pushed by anybody other than their, their performances, whereas I'm sure Steve Porthwick, who well, obviously has pleaded the case enough to get George Cruz on the on the frame, despite the fact he's only played once, I think, since January. Yeah, and that's
1: probably the same for Kyle Sinclair as well, I guess, that it's it's the English voice in the camp that's pushing him forward, where... He's made, I think, one appearance off the bench for England in the autumn. Um, I had, and I think was it you, Gav, was saying on Twitter that he's he's going as a dirt track. He's not. He's unlikely to make sort of trouble the the matchday squad. But but I don't. I mean, for me, I, why not take say Xander Ferguson, who um, I, I, although has his issues, is he's is playing and getting picked for Scotland and and doing fairly well against um, good teams. With a view to getting him blooded for the next tour.
0: Yeah, I feel a bit like that. I think it's a bit of a. When everybody, every, almost every man and his dog from Wales is gone, it's a bit of a snub that neither one of their first two tight heads have made it in the in the squad. And uh, I think we certainly had another Scottish representative for WP being anything like close to fit, because um, he's. Probably, probably would have been in most people's um, test teams this time last year. And then it's just a dreadful run. But yeah, Sinclair's a funny one. It it just doesn't seem seem right, really. It, you know, he's not really played much in international rugby. And to be honest, he's going to end up going across to New Zealand and, and he'll face guys like Wyatt Crocker and um, a couple of young... Looseheads who will probably play in the the midweek games, that will maybe give him a a bit of a tough time. And he'll have to play. Earlier when Rory was talking about um, Dan Bigger, I, I thought, well, I honestly can't see Bigger playing much because I think Farrell and Sexton will get a lot of game time at 10, but Sinclair will need to play and take the strain almost off long and Dan Cole.
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's a, it's a good point about now. I mean, it, I don't know if either of you saw the BT rugby thing with O'Driscoll going through it, where he was mm-hmm. sort of saying that he wouldn't have had Ellen on the basis, that he's um, South African, neatly you know, overlooking the fact that Stander got called up.
0: What a rubbish. It,
1: yeah, um... The other one I highlighted was Sam Warburton, but I mean, I I get he's there on the basis that he's um, had a good Six Nations, but he was poor in the run up, and he's probably been picked on the basis that Gatland had him down as his captain. Um, But you could make the argument that there are better open sides and better Scottish open sides um, than Warburton. Um, But again, uh, it probably comes down to bias, I guess
2: yeah I mean I think but one man's bias is another man's familiarity um certainly it, it's a tricky one because Warburton did have a pretty good i mean he had a very he was the probably the one Welsh player to emerge with any credit out of the uh out of the game against us um but it was a You know, and he wasn't so that was probably he had a good enough six nations that you're thinking, right? He's definitely, you know, he's definitely going, he's Gatlin's golden boy, you know, he could even be captain. And it turns out that he was. Um, I think it was, it was uh, Tipperick who had enough who had probably didn't have the greatest tournament, but he's so highly rated by basically everybody that he was the sort of he would have been the building block in, in Hamish, Hamish Watson's way. And you know, Watson had a great tournament, and there were loads of people singing his praises, but um. Again, it comes down to the coaching panel are probably not reading social media. You know that they're, they're probably not reading who's singing their praises. It's down, it's down to someone in that room singing their praises. And I mean, you can see Kyle Sinclair. He's got his uh, he's got his club forwards coach in there. And you know, if anyone's seen the the, the certainly the last Lions DVD, you'll know um, how forthright Roundtree can be in his in his opinions. Which you know, when Gav's saying there's no Welsh props in there, Roundtree probably just said, "Well, they're not good enough, so you're not getting them." um he you know he was quite happy to overrule Gatland back in 2013 on, on Ryan Grant so i'm i'm sure if he said Sinclair can do a job Gat- Gatland would have believed him
1: yeah um is there anyone from the forwards that you would have sw- uh,
0: swapped in or out gav again apart from potentially a, one of the grey brothers that would have maybe been the only the only change um And I probably, in the wider context, had, um, say, I'll go Richie Gray because I think he had a better Six Nations ahead of Henderson and probably Lonsbury ahead of Mm. Uh, Cruz. And then, but it's difficult because I think somebody like Fraser Brown had a really good Six Nations and pressed his his claim for a, a place pretty well, but then as soon as we heard that Hartley probably wasn't going to go, you knew that Fraser Brown was at least one run further away, so but somebody, somebody like him could, you know, he could force his way, force his way there for for injury cover, or I think you just got to keep keep playing well, but in terms of the forwards it's, I mean it is so tough, mm-hmm. because where our guys are kind of coming on to form Guys like Stander and Warburton have been on great form for, Warburton may a bad example, uh, but say Billy Vinopola, been on great form for two or three years and, and deserve to be there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, I think Hooker's probably the position that you could forgive, because if you look at the three that have been named, it's hard to criticise, although Jamie George isn't getting games for England, he that's probably on the basis that Hartley's the captain, um, given his performances for Saris, and then it's hard to criticise or suggest that, that Brown goes ahead of Best or um, the well, Ken Owens, um, given you know that their, their performance. Um, but in the backs, I mean, Jack Noah on the base of his hair um, and Liam Williams. I mean, I would quite happily have subbed in Maitland for either of those. But um, I don't know if you two would disagree or have any. Yeah, I mean, too, am I being too biased?
2: No, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe no. I, you know, I haven't seen seen that much much of him outside of the the Six Nations games. Um, I mean, I'm actually quite not a fan of Williams, but you know, the the la- when. Um, I saw bits of, of Wales down in New Zealand last year, and he seemed to be the only guy that was really troubling the All Blacks or, or making ground. So I think Williams should have gone, but um, I think you could easily swap out Halfpenny. Um, mm. I think you've got Farrell, you've got Sexton, you've got Daly, you've even got Dan bigger. We've got you know their kickers. Um, you don't they they don't I mean they don't really need Halfpenny. I suppose Warrens. Warren's backline plan is for the backs to stand about and watch the forwards. In which case, Halfpenny would be fine. But um, I, I would be tempted to yeah to have, to have got rid of him and and put in Maitland. But then when we start making calls like that, it's because we want to see them play a different way, and mm. that's not really the way they're gonna they're gonna play. They're gonna play the way that Warren wants them to play, um, and he's probably picked as as much as he could. I says, there's an argument to say that Dunbar. Would have been his sort of lump in the centre, but again, yeah. you know, there's there's that England game that's kind of a black mark against him.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I, I highlighted Payne and Taylor as the two that you could have swapped out quite happily for um, Dunbar. I mean, yeah. ben, ben Taylor was 30, 30 um, and he's represented Samoa in rugby league, um, had one Six Nations match against Italy where he started, and he's playing for Worcester, who are second bottom of the Aviva Premiership, so that's. That's a hard one. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the sort of stick him in and hope. So I'm, I'm surprised Brian
2: O'Driscoll uh, didn't didn't have a problem with him.
1: <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's an odd one. That I mean, that that's the one that sort of sticks. I think in the backs for me, Ben Te'o, apart from the you know, yep. bigger side, Um, just on on that basis. Um, I mean, th- there's probably a wider thing to uh, debate. To be had about you know what's the, I put on um, Twitter this morning. You know what's the point of the Lions? And you, Rory, dredged up the Gatlin interview from the Scotsman, where he quite happily chats about having six or six to eight representatives from the bottom place side just to make everyone feel part of it, and that's not where we are.
2: Which he, yeah, he was assuming that would be Scotland at the time. so yeah. he was presumably trying to appease the the Scottish Scottish rugby rugby journalists, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a funny one. I think Scotland are definitely a side on the up, at right, as of this moment. But um, he's maybe judged it over the course of the last, you know, four years since the last tour, and indeed the last tour, and maybe even, you know, going further back than that. Um, we've we've got the results that have put us into into fifth in the world, but at the same time, you know, we haven't really beaten a a top Southern Hemisphere team in a few years. We're still, um, you know, we, we didn't get, get anything particularly great away from home in the Six Nations. Um, I mean, we have done okay on our last couple of tours, but we've not been, you know, we've not been playing the big the big teams. So there's, you know, there's that argument against the Scottish players that they're, they don't have that kind of touring test match experience. And is New Zealand the place to give them that? Or do you, I mean... It's almost like the New Zealand Lions Tour is is like a World Cup and you build, you use the South Africa and the Australia Tours to build a a group of players towards that.
1: Yeah, but I suppose arguably we had a bet out of the teams in the Northern Hemisphere, we probably had the better World Cup.
2: Yeah, I think that that would be fair.
1: Um, And if you don't, I suppose if you don't, Scotland as a team perhaps haven't performed well, but does the counter argument say, well, yeah, but if you put individuals in with um, If you
2: put Stuart Hogg in the lines for example If
1: you put Stuart Hogg in the lines, if you put Dunbar in the lines if you put a a grey in the lines and they are surrounded by players who have that experience does that mitigate against their lack of experience in big games and finishing off games?
0: Yeah when you look at it I think guys like Ben Teo and um, Jared Payne won't have played in as made Payne's got 20 caps and Teod's got a handful off the bench for England and like that one start against the Italians they won't have played in massive massive internationals I think they going not have Payne played against the All Blacks but that would be the biggest one for him um, so there's no reason why Scottish guys couldn't go there Dunbar for example yeah. brings all the same characteristics as a rugby player than that Teo does but maybe is being judged on one bad game, where Theo is being judged on maybe one or two good ones by English coaches. Mm.
1: Mm. I mean, that's it. It comes down to me. And I know I'm not necessarily advocating for quarters, but do should there not be some sort of unspoken gentleman's agreement that? You know, two, two, is, two in the current circumstances of a Scotland team that are performing well is not acceptable.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think anything, anything less than three is a bit of a slap in the face, really. Um, even and that's even as I guess as a Scotland fan who's used to getting slapped in the face by line selections in in recent years. Um, I, I mean, I totally see why you can't have quotas because as soon as you do that, then. You might have, you know, you might have a dire Scotland team or a dire Wales team or something, and someone gets in who actually doesn't deserve to be there. Hmm. But I think it's if I if I was the Lions coach, I would I would try and bear that in mind when making a 50-50 call. I'd say, okay, we've only got one Scott on the tour. Let's take Toby Seymour instead of you know Chris Ashton. But again, yeah. that that was the sort of part of
0: my point about Teo and Dunbar being so similar that. It feels very much like there's not a, a Scottish representative on the coaching side. They've turned us down. So do you know what? We're going to pick as few players from that country as as we possibly can. And I wonder if that would happen if, for example, if there was if there was no Welsh coaches on the in the mm-hmm. squad, would we, would we be sitting looking at a Lions squad with two or three Welsh players? Like I very very much doubt it.
2: Yeah, yeah i mean it's 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 interesting to think what happens um certainly after the last lion's tour to New Zealand when Woodward you know almost put it out of its misery um and Geech came in in the o nine you know the o nine tour to try and restore the lion's ethos and that tour was very much about making it almost as old fashioned as it could be and i mean i when I went back and looked at the articles that I sort of wrote in support of the Lions concept back then um I was really surprised to find out that there were that the the Scotland only got two players in the initial squad, because I you know I'd painted that tour in my mind as a kind of rosy high point, um, even though I think it was I think four four were were in the squad party by the time they left um, due to injuries mm. and stuff, and but you know Geach was in charge of that tour, but he took Gatlin along to kind of bleed him in as a as a to blood him as a, as a coach. And then obviously he took he took charge of the next one. So you've got to think there may be some coaching continuity working through. But you would look at the coaching coaching group they've got now and say Howley's probably not going to be involved in the next one. Gattams definitely not, as far as we know. Hmm. Um, you might get Farrell, who's who's working with the Irish. You might get Roundtree because they don't seem to have any other scrum coaches in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, <laughs> And who's who's the other one? Hey, Jenkins kicking and, yeah. and Barthwick. Yeah. So I mean Barthwick might be um or somebody like um like Gustard from from Saris or something, you, you know, they could bring someone in like that, they're probably gonna So there might not be as much Welsh um influence in the coaching setup next time around. I mean a kicking coach, you know, we could find we could get Johnny Wilkinson as a kicking coach and then boom, you've got no Welsh coaches. Um, but,
0: yeah,
1: but I, th- I I suppose I wonder where from the current Lions setup is is the next coach coming from? Then if Geach mm. had the foresight to blood Gatland, who who is do the we next think there's Gatland? a head
2: coach in there? Yeah,
1: it's not oh. Howley. No, well, I hope it, I, I hope it's not Howley, but
2: they'd be mental.
1: Yeah. So I and and I get the point that there's no Scottish representation in the um, in the coaching setup, but then what? By all accounts Scottish coaches were offered or Scottish base coaches were offered was were the sort of breadcrumbs that you know, you can come and be assistant to the assistant rather than yeah. a genuine
0: position. I would be interested though, I think <clears throat> Gatlin said during the Six Nations that he would happily sit down with Verne um, at one of the selection meetings. And yeah. it would be really interesting to know whether Vern had any input at all, or whether that offer can kind of never appear. saw the light of day because if if Verne has had a chance to press claims for his players, and we've ended up with two, what what, we, what was the you know what was Gatlin's original plan? Because a lot of people um, on social media this morning were really surprised that Seymour has made it in. Um, I think partly because of the the rumor last night that there was there was only going to be one. Scott um, but for me, Seymour's been one of the four wingers in Europe for probably at least at least a year mm-hmm. um mm. and deserves his place, but you know what position would we have been in if Veron wasn't involved and in, and you know was he was he involved in the the selection meetings it doesn't doesn't feel like he was it would be interesting to know yeah. Well, the
1: other the other side of that might be, I mean, they've only that the Vern has deliberately um, talked down some chances so he can pick um, some of the uh, Scotland players for the Barbaras. Yeah, true. K- kept them for himself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I've and I've, I've written a piece that I think Rory had said would would be on the on the site um, over the the weekend, but basically, I think now the focus, if, if Scotland fans don't want to focus on the Lions, it's a great chance to, to really focus on our summer tour and there's no reason why Scotland can't go away and win all three games now.
1: Warburton as captain um, seemed fairly inevitable I think. Um, is that the right pick for you Gav, um, Gav, out of that 41?
0: It's difficult, he's Gatland's kind of golden boy, as Ronnie said earlier and um, so once he had kind of played his way in the squad with a good Six Nations, he was probably odds-on. Um, Alan Wynne-Jones has got a bit of an injury. Uh, Rory Best is probably not guaranteed to to start the tests. It's a difficult one because short of those kind of three guys, you're then looking at people who don't regularly go in follow who doesn't regularly captain his club or his country. And... Um, so yeah probably.
1: But um So it's a case of the Brewster's millions, if not him, then who else?
2: Yeah. I bet
0: yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah, I think I mean if I yeah, some Sam Warburton, fine. Um he is a good captain, he's not probably not not gonna let anyone down. I mean it's a ridiculously hard call in this squad to pick one guy who definitely starts the tests apart from at the moment, I would say Owen Farrell. Um, but as Gab says, you know he doesn't uh, he doesn't captain his his club or his country very often. Um, so yeah, why not defy logic and pick the guy who plays better when he's not captain?
1: Yeah, and I guess um, the um, Alwyn Jones had um, a pretty poor Six Nations as captain, and certainly in the Scotland game, some of the choices yeah. were a bit suspect. Yeah, uh... but in terms of the captaincy and what it takes to be a Lions captain, we thought we'd get some expert input, and who better than former Scotland captain and executive coach, David Saul.
3: David Saul.
1: Oh, hi, David. It's Cameron Black from the Scottish Rugby Blog.
3: Hi there. How are you doing?
1: I'm okay, thanks. Thanks for uh, speaking to us today. No problem. I really appreciate it. Um, we wanted to really uh, speak to you just because... Um, to get an insight into the sort of skills required to lead a team like the Lions, and also not because you have just captained Scotland, but also your experience in executive coaching as well. Okay. Um, um, I'm not going to ask your opinion about the Lions squad, because uh, people can obviously read that in your column in the, this week's Sunday post. Um, sure. But normally when we have someone on the podcast for the first time, um, we always ask what club sox did where they were selected for the Barbarians, but you're the first guest we've actually had who's not only played for them, but captained them as well. Um, yeah.
3: Can you actually remember what socks <laughs> you wore? Well, I wore my club socks, um, depending on which club I was playing for. So um, I was first asked to play for the Barbars when I was at Bath, so I wore Bath socks then. Um, and obviously, latterly, I played at Ed Maracus, so I wore my Ed Maracus socks socks um, for the Barbars again. Yeah. And, and would you, do you think you'd wear the same socks if you called up today? Well, the likelihood of me being called up today Is about as remote as me being Prime Minister So, um, but but yeah, I mean, uh, hypothetically I would still wear Edinburgh Aki's socks Uh, You know, that's my club, that's where my son is captain So, uh, yeah, no, I've got a very strong affiliation with uh, Aki's And and in terms of leading a scratch team like the Barbarians or, Or the Lions
1: even I mean, how does that differ from, say, leading a more established setup Like Scotland, where you may be more
3: familiar with the guys around you? Well, the Barbarians is is very different to the Lions. I mean, I think uh, certainly the emphasis when I played for the Barbarians was to have fun and go out and express yourself. So, <clears throat> you know, that was very much the philosophy of the, of the club and, and certainly when I played for them, um, perhaps with the exception of when you're playing against the All Blacks or Australia. Um, but, you know, if you're on the Easter tour to, to Cardiff, then... Uh, You know, it was was all about having fun and and sort of demonstrating some of the skills that you had. So, for, for example, in the team talk before we played Cardiff on Easter Friday or Saturday, I think it was, you know, I said that there are fines for anyone who kicks outside of the 22, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, the ball. You know, it's all about running the ball and keeping the ball in hand and it was a very warm afternoon. People were cursing me about about 40 minutes into the game, you know, because uh, everything was being run. So, um, but, but, you know, the Lions is different altogether, I think, <clears throat> you know, y- your purpose and intention is, is to go out and be as successful as you possibly can be. So. Um, You know, it's a little bit more serious than uh, playing for the Barbars, but it's still about trying to get the best of every player. Um, Making sure that you've got absolute alignment on how you want to play, and and making sure everybody's absolutely aligned behind the the game plan, and uh, the approach, and the attitude, and the culture of that particular group of players.
1: Yeah, that was something we were wondering about. I mean, when you're captain on, say, an Alliance tour, or in any sort of tour, whether there's maybe more of a Sort of pastoral role um, in terms of keeping spirits up and making sure no one goes native?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think absolutely. I mean, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I was fortunate enough to captain the Lions side in uh, a number of the Wednesday games and then the last game against the Anzacs on the 89 tour, and Finlay Calder was obviously captain. You know, I think, <clears throat> you know, we, we were on a, a tough tour because, you know, we remained the only Lions side ever to have lost the first test and won the series. Uh, and you know when, when we lost the first test, and we got, you know we were well beaten in that game. Um, y- there was a lot of soul searching. You know, the, un- undoubtedly, you know we'd, we'd come to to win the series. We'd been undefeated in the provincial games up to then, and uh, you know despite some of them being quite you know tasty uh, and, and close. Um, and, and you know we were absolutely thrashed by Australia in the first test. There's no two ways to, to describe it other than a thrashing. Um, so, you know, everybody went through a lot of soul-searching, including Finlay. But, you know, sometimes you have to think about how you pull together and um, recover from that situation to to sort of get the show back on the road. And, and undoubtedly, there were some players on that trip for whom, uh, you know, when we experienced that defeat, they perhaps thought that maybe the tour was over uh, and didn't have that resilience or resourcefulness to... To come together and pull together and actually get the show back on the road, um, and that you know that required performances on the field, performances in training, and and you know taking people around the you know an arm around the shoulder and getting them back on track you know, off field or you know in the off field activities as well. Yeah, I mean um, sort of you mentioned the Calder there, and one thing
1: it um, was interesting to see is that Sam warbin has been picked as captain for Wales, um, given that Alwyn Jones was captain during the Six Nations. Um, and you went through something similar. I think when you, um, you know, you, you were led by Finley, and then um, you t- took over the Scotland captaincy from him, um, even though he'd been your captain on the 89 lines to it. I mean, how easy is that sort of role reversal for both parties?
3: Well, to be fair, the first game that uh, that I was captain, Finn wasn't playing, so that made life a little bit easier. <laughs> but uh, you know, Finley's a very uh, long-standing and dear friend of mine, and. and uh, there was never a, any question of, of egos getting in the way of, uh, you know, what you were there to do. I think, you know, we both respect and continue to respect each other massively as, as rugby players and, but most importantly, as human beings. and. Uh, you know, I think when you have that level of respect, that, that sort of bodes very well. I, I mean, you know, I was very fortunate. I, I played in an era where there were some outstanding leaders uh, in the Scotland side and outstanding players in the Scotland side. You know, Big Gav, who took over from me and had a tremendously successful um, career as a Scotland captain. Um, John Jeffrey had captained his club. You know, there were Gary Armstrong, Craig Charlie. You know, some tremendous leaders in that, in that group. Um, and you know, people talk about leadership groups. You know, there's always been leadership groups. You know, it's not just about the captain. I mean, you do you do the toss and you kind of decide which way to play and whether to get to kick the goal, but you rely so heavily on the team around you, um, and that is absolutely critical. Uh, that, that you know, you've got alignment with them, and you know, back to that point, everybody's travelling in the same direction. Everybody understand what's you know right and wrong in terms of behaviour and culture, and and you you get behind that.
1: Yeah and is there a sort of i guess a, a role for Sam Warburton in terms of um keeping the likes of um Alwyn Jones and Rory Best's sort of leadership tendencies in check if they would sort of you know I don't know um get
3: get above themselves is that sort of a, a skill that he would need to develop um, it's really hard for me to say because I don't know the characters. Uh, you know, I've met them a couple of times, but you know, I wouldn't say I know them as individuals. And you know, it's only when you go to a country like New Zealand where uh, the intensity is is unprecedented. Um, and and you know, unless you toured New Zealand, you, you really don't get a good appreciation of what it's like to be there. Um, you know, rugby is so ingrained in their culture, and it's, it's such an important part of their culture uh, that, that that can be quite overwhelming in some respects. Um, so I think, you know, and having an appreciation of that first and foremost, not not just for Sam and for you know the other leaders in the group, but for the whole touring party, um, is really really important. Um, you know, I experienced it first in the 87 World Cup and, and it was a real eye-opener and then we went back there in 1990 with Scotland and had an amazing time and just an incredible tour of New Zealand for sort of six or seven weeks um, and you know that, that, that tour, we, we, you have to earn respect in New Zealand. No one gives you respect. Uh, it's what you do both on and off the field and how you're regarded on and off the field which really defines how popular and successful you are as a touring party. Uh, and we were very lucky in uh, 1990. We had, as I say, an exceptional group of players, and a lot of people who'd experienced New Zealand before, as well as a few young players. And, and it was a real steep learning curve for those those younger players as they sort of experienced what it was like and the physicality and the the, the intensity and the the microscope that you put under when you when you're in the country. And I think I think that is probably going to be the biggest challenge for this particular Lions group because there's not a lot of experience of. New Zealand rugby in, in the group?
1: Yeah, well I wonder because um, probably the most recent one was um, the Wales were probably the most recent side to tour I guess, and, and I wonder whether how much that informs the the choice of the squad itself
3: well, I, I think the choice of the squad, you know, is is interesting. Obviously, Gatland uh, knows his players and there's, there's a number of other people who knows, know the Welsh players. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at the selection, to, to see how Wales performed in the Autumn Internationals and to see how Wales performed in the Six Nations, I think a, a lot of play, those Welsh players have been picked on reputation rather than form. And I think that's a real shame because uh, it's certainly cost some Scottish players' places on that Lions tour, and and, I feel incredibly sorry for people like Joe Launchbury, who I thought was one of the stars of the the Six Nation, and and when you look at New Zealand locks, he's the sort of locks that you want in New Zealand, but I guess Gatlin goes with the people that uh, have built up credit over a number of years, and um, goes with people he knows the most and you know I'm I'm not sure that's the right thing to do but you know it's it's his bed he's made it he's got to lie in it
1: yeah and I mean do you think that makes it easier from a sort of leadership point of view to sort of surround yourself with um people that you know or is it uh, you know should any sort of strong leader be able to sort of bring a group of sort of disparate guys together and
3: get them to play the way that they want to in a short space of time? Well, I, I, you know, I think it's it's a very different game now and the amount of attention and preparation, uh, attention to detail and preparation that these guys will undergo between now and flying out to New Zealand will be, you know, second to none in terms of, you know, Lions tours. So they will be as well prepared as they possibly can be. I think the role of, you know, bringing them together, you know, is, is probably the hardest one because, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to kick seven bells out of each other in the six nations and suddenly you you pull on a red jersey and with a a badge with the crests of the four home unions on it and you're meant to play together and that just takes a little bit of time to adjust to and and you know back to the point about culture i think you know we, we all share the same language but you know, Scots are very different to Welsh and very different to Irish and very different to uh, to English. And, and you know, just navigating your way through that and understanding how people take is a real challenge. It will be a real challenge for for both Warren Gatland as a new as a coach of these new players, this new group, but also you know the other leaders in, in the group as well. So you know, that's that's going to be, a, I think, one of the biggest challenges.
1: And do you think it's maybe more of a challenge for them, given that there is only two Scots within the. Setups there's maybe more work for them to do, in bringing them in. I mean, Hoggy's obviously got the experience from the, his last two. he might know a few of the guys. But for, for
3: for Tommy Seymour, it's something completely new. I think in some in some respects, if you're a minority, um, then it's it becomes easier um, because you're, you're, you're just a bit of an outlier, so uh, you can adapt and and just sort of. There's no way you can form a clique with two people. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of, the, one of the risks when you have some countries dominating, you do get very cliquey. Um, but, you know, it seems to be a big touring party, you know, they picked 41 players. Um, and, you know, with the exception of Scotland, the, the, the sort of representation seems to be fairly even. So um, you would hope that cliques don't develop, because I think when cliques do develop, that is when Lions tours tend to come off the rails. And what sort of things, you know, what sort of things have you experienced in the past to sort of try and
1: prevent that from happening, or is there anything that, that sort of must be done to stop that?
3: Well, as I say, if you've come across Finlay, you'll know what sort of character he is, and um, you know he's very clear about just some of the simple things that that um, you can do as a as a group of players. You know, you, you never room players from the same country together. You always room forwards with backs. Um, you give different. People and sometimes more unlikely people, different responsibilities on the tour. But, you know, I, the, the challenge is I don't know whether that is quite the same in the professional <laughs> era as it, as it was in our era. But you know, simple things like you know, being a duty boy or, or um, <clears throat> you know, singing your song on the way to training, or you know, all of these sorts of things helped to, to sort of take you down to a ground level, and then you build up from there. I think if you go there thinking you've got a reputation which is greater or more superior than some of your, your peer group, then that's when things tend to tend to fall apart.
1: I mean, in in your yeah, the LinkedIn piece, uh, I think that I contacted you about. Um, you were sort of lamenting the lack of a player um, like somebody that might strike the fear fear in the hearts of the All Blacks as a captain. And uh, we were talking on the podcast earlier, um, you know, looking from the outside in um, with Sam and It appeared to be a case of if not him, then who else? And I wonder whether you think it was, you know, the familiarity with the coaches and experience,
3: was it that straightforward a a choice or do you think there was maybe more to it behind the scenes? I I think the fact that he was successful in Australia was, you know, would have certainly played into his favour. He'd taken, had the responsibility of, you know, being Captain of Wales taken off his shoulders. So, you know, that made it, um, you know, he'd had leadership responsibilities for his country and for the Lions, before, so you know, that made it uh, you know, a very or slightly easier choice for, for Warren Gatland and in the, in the selection team. Uh, I mean, I think I made the point in that LinkedIn. I, I would have gone for a bit of a, a wild card. I mean, I think someone like Rory Best, who has beaten the All Blacks already, and you know, as an Irishman, I think <clears throat> the, the Irish are quite good at bringing together um, you know, different parties. You think of you know, William, Willie John McBride, Paul O'Connell. Um, and you know when he goes, say when you go and you face Kieran Reid or whoever it is for the for the toss, um, you know he's he will know that he's been beaten by this this guy, and they they will know how to how to beat uh, this side. So, you know I think that counts for for a lot. I mean, Orbiton seems like quite a gently spoken, soft spoken guy. You know he's a terrific player, but you know they could be terri- you know, particularly terrified of um, of facing him, whereas you know. You, Toss up against Martin Johnson, and you wonder whether you're going to go back to your dressing room with your two front teeth still in. You know. And <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: the other thing we were talking about in the podcast is um, this time around there seems to be a bit of a lack of succession planning from a coaching point of view. Um, in the 2009, I think um, someone on, the, on our, the podcast was saying that you know, um, McGee took Gatland along as part of the setup, um, but we were really sort of struggling to see who from that group might be the 2021 head coach. And and I wonder whether you think that there's a missed opportunity there.
3: Well, um, there's a lot of water to pass under the bridge before you get to 2021. So, um, I mean, I think it's a valid point. I think giving people experience of, uh, you know, being part of that sort of group of uh, of a touring party would be really helpful. Um, You know, the obvious ones that, that... Spring to mind would be Joe Schmidt in uh, in Ireland. You know he seems to have done a terrific job with his group of players. Um, <clears throat> Gregor Townsend, obviously coming to the Scotland setup, um, and you know was part of a winning Lions tour in 1997 as a player. Um, but you know I think I think there's a long time, and, and you know it wouldn't surprise me in this modern era if he suddenly view and went outside of the home nations and said to someone like Vern Cotter you know, what about taking the Lions on tour in twenty twenty one because of what he achieved with Scotland in the last few years? Um, you know, again, he's a man who has the respect of the players and uh, you know, I think would be a terrific Lions coach. And and then who I mean, who for you is the greatest
1: captain that you played under?
3: Um you know I was very lucky to play under you know some great individuals um people like you know Gavin Hastings was captain of the Scottish school side that, that beat England that I played in uh, away from home which was the first ever away Scottish schools victory um, and <clears throat> and Gavin was you know just a, a wonderful character and a wonderful man you know Finlay called a very different guy um Colin Dean's, you know, my first captain. I thought he was a tr- terrific. I learned an awful lot about, you know, how you integrate young players into a squad from him. Um, you know, there's been some fantastic guys. One of the hardest men I ever played rugby with was a guy called Roger Spurl at Bath. You know, um, <clears throat> one of these guys who would never ask you to do something that he wouldn't do himself, and mm. more often than not, it was. Pretty something pretty unpleasant that he'd be doing himself, um, but you know he's just one of those guys who you sort of follow follow anywhere. So you know I've been very lucky to play with some you know, truly exceptional captains. And
1: and um, if you are going to give
3: sort of some advice to a young player um, who
1: might be listening that had aspirations of captaincy at any level, what what do you think is the single most important piece of advice to give them, or the or the, or the one thing they should work on above all others?
3: I think it's be true to yourself. Um, <clears throat> you know, don't try and adopt or adapt other styles to because you think they're the right thing to do. I think you've got to be true to yourself, true to your personality, true to your own values and beliefs, and do it in the way that you want to do it. <clears throat> um, you know, think about how you how you want to lead an organisation or a, or a team, uh, and just get on with it. And you know, you, you'll you'll get feedback. And um, Fairly direct ways uh, in sports, and, and perhaps less indirect ways in business. But you know, if you're true to yourself and true to your values, you, you won't go too far wrong. That's great, David. Thank you very much for that. Um, okay. Okay. No problem. Gina, bye. Please you soon. Bye. Okay, uh, that's
1: it for part one of our Lions special. Um, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at scott rugby blog and check out the blog www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk uk and leave comments on any of the articles. Um, especially the ones about the podcast, where you can uh, leave comments about what we've talked about. Um, We'll be back with part two early next week. Um, But in the meantime, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Rory and Gav. Goodbye.
0: Bye.
3: loving, two is right. Two is
0: somebody's arms just holding tight. Two, you see, is better by far than one could ever be. Cause two is